On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball to talk a little Vandy boys after his trip to Nashville to watch Vandy and Oklahoma State at the Hawk this past weekend. Aaron also tells us about the attention college baseball is gaining this season and how some other SEC teams also reloaded coming into the 2022 season. Plus, we recap Vandy's 74-72 loss to Alabama Tuesday night at Memorial Gym. The Doors fought back, but there are a few key topics that we touch on to try to hash out everything that caused Vandy to lose to the Tide on Tuesday. Up next for the Doors is a trip down to Starkville against Mississippi State. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening. To the Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 147. It is February 24th, 2022. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And Will, we've got a recap in Alabama loss. It was a tough one. It was it was brutal on uh on on Tuesday night. Was that Tuesday night? That was that was uh, that was Tuesday night. I don't even remember anymore. But uh, Vanderbilt uh, lost Alabama 74-72. We will recap that entire game, and we'll also talk a little bit of college baseball. We'll get into the Vandy boys with Aaron Fit from D1Baseball.com. But Will, uh, man, that was brutal. Uh, a lot of good, but also a lot of bad, and and we're gonna try to sort through all of it. Yeah, I missed the interview again, Billy. And uh, this one—that was, was that my wasn't fault. my fault. This yeah. one, this one was my fault. This is so I'm actually not. So we always say you're do, you're you're reporting down live from Florida, and I'm in Nashville. I'm actually not in Nashville right now. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. So Back I've on been traveling, time. but but yeah, setting setting it up in my uh, buddy's wife's like home office. Like I've moved all her stuff to the corner so that I can come on here and whatever talk it takes. Basketball. So everybody appreciate the commitment that I have to uh, the door report <laughs> and talking out Vanderbilt, Alabama, a little bit here. Hey, it's it, 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 it's we win the podcast. It, it, it's whatever it takes. Aaron Fit, I asked him. He said, I'm waiting oh, on the Vanderbilt Podcast of the Year award. That's what that's what I'm still waiting on. We haven't received it yet, but well, I feel uh, like we've got a good got a good chance. We'll we'll create that. We'll just name ourselves uh, the the Vanderbilt Pod of the Year. But we'll be yes. like Jake Paul, where he declared himself the most valuable, whatever boxing, gave himself the belt. We'll do that with Vanderbilt Podcast. Of the Confidence, year. We'll do the same thing. Confidence, yeah. not arrogance. But uh, the door port continues. We'll recap Alabama, and there's a lot to it. <laughs> Again, this could be another beefy episode, but before we get to all that, Will, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at door underscore report, and Instagram, door.report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flowing job 
to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, Will, breaking news is uh, simply a recap of Alabama and Vanderbilt on Tuesday night. Alabama, a team that's in the top 25, they they were coming off a loss in Rupp Arena to Kentucky, but they edged out Vanderbilt. They barely got the win 74-72, and, and if you're Nate Oates in Alabama, you're, you're just lucky uh, to get out of there with, with limited injuries. I mean, it, it was another type of uh, melee game. You saw a lot of fouls, and maybe not as many as there were on Saturday night, but well, there's a lot of good, a lot of bad. Bama has now won five of the last six against uh, Vanderbilt. Well, Vandy led for almost the entire first half, and I'm not going to say they had control of the game, but in the final seconds of the game, they had a chance to tie the game. They fought back. Scottie Pippen kept drawing fouls at the end, and his fourth foul was called after he tried to draw a charge on the, on the Bama player on the baseline inbound. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say that was a foul on, 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 on Alabama, but it, it was one of those calls that I've seen it go the other way. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into that and everything that happened at the end. But another great performance for Scotty, 26 points, six assists. He was 14 of eight, 18 from the free throw line, which is uh, maybe his best clip. I mean, he, I'm not to say he struggled from the free throw line, but him hitting free throws is kind of the difference in a lot of these games. Liam Robbins, another great performance, 16 points. He shot 15, 50, not 15, 50% from the field. But, Will, he sat out the final stretch. And this was a highly debated topic on Twitter and in the Vanderbilt circles. Stackhouse, after the game, said, Quentin Malore Brown is the best defender we have. He's going to be on the floor. We needed more shooting in a comeback. So, Miles was out there to give us another guy to space out. And, you know, for me, Will, the way Liam was playing, it, it, it was kind of – it was kind of mind boggling not to see him out there. And, and, you know, there's a lot to get into in this game. That's just one of the, you know, issues a lot of fans had with that. I don't think that Liam not being on the floor is the reason they lost. I think it's the the stretch that we'll get into, uh, but will uh, just a brutal night for Jordan, Wright. I mean, I, I feel for the guy, three points, five turnovers. He was one of six from the field. He missed the game tying layup. And for Jordan Wright, I mean, if he's had, if he's got three points, five turnovers, and then you miss the game tying layup, that that makes it tough. It, it we talked, I talked about before the game. Will they, they need that third guy to step up? Who was that third guy? Where was the? That's third what guy that's what I was about to say. This box score plays out really, really well for our preview. It makes us look like we actually know what we're talking about there because <laughs> we said that Scottie Pippen Jr. is going to give you twenty. Um, and you have to expect that he's going to give you about 20 points or more every night. So that's guaranteed lockdown. That's a given if you want to win a game. You need another guy to score in the mid-teens, 15 to 18. 20 would be ideal, but that was Liam Robbins. He scored 16, played a hell of a game. And I do want to touch on him not being in the game, but I'll get to this. And then after that, you hit on it perffectly. The number two scorer on this team was Quentin Melora Brown with eight. Yeah. And he played a good game. But it's not exactly like he was an That's what you focus. expect from, just, from Q. Yeah, yeah, eight points. That should not be your third leading scorer. And you're no. not going to beat the number 24 team in the country, even though Alabama was only 7-7 seven and seven in the conference. Mm -hmm. You're not going to beat them when you no. only have two guys no. in double figures. No. And that's just as simple as you're, this you're game not. breakdown and can with, be put. With Quentin Melora Brown, Will, he's, we've talked about it. He's not a scorer, and he can't be relied on to be a scorer. So eight points with him, that, that's what we expected. And, you know, Jordan Wright <laughs> – Yes, he's a shooter, but he's a guy that I think is streaky. And if he, he starts the game off, you haven't really seen him kind of, you know, play a little bit differently and actually step up and, and make those game those game-changing shots. And the game time layup that 
was just brutal. I, I mean, the play was drawn up for him to drive baseline and then kick it out to Trey Thomas, but he had a good look at, at a layup. Yes, a guy came in late and closed on it, but, man, that just rimmed out. Barely. Just barely rimmed out, and, and it was a pretty Vandy way to lose. I mean, that, that, yeah, I that, tweeted that one out. <laughs> very, this game was very it was a Vandy. very Vanderbilt way to well, lose. Well, let's get into Liam Robbins and the impact. <laughs> we've talked about the impact he could have. For me, I, I, I again, I, what Stackhouse said after the game, it did look like Liam was gassed. And, and you know, we've talked about it. Tired legs it, it, are not good legs. Tired basketball, not good basketball. Um, but I would have liked to seen him maybe an offensive, a defensive switch, you know, to where, you know, maybe you have to call a timeout. Maybe there's a, a dead ball. You put Liam back in there. Um, but for me, well, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to say, hey, you got to have Liam out there the final five minutes. Uh, but at the same time, there's always that 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 look back factor of, hey, what if Liam was out there? Maybe he does hit a big shot because he is shooting the ball well from three, which is kind of funny. You know, I mean, he said we need a shooter out there. Liam, Liam's not it's not like he's a non-factor from the three-point line so but Miles out there you had Q out there not saying I don't have a problem with it but I don't think that that was the main issue in in Vanderbilt not winning that game so you said this was going to be a beefy episode and I'm already looking at what I've written down on my sheet of paper next to me because uh, I still write down on a sheet of paper even though we have all this technology <laughs> And it is going to be a beefy episode. So I'm going to go ahead and hit on my point number six, which is Liam Robbins. And so we can go ahead and get into that one. But uh, Liam Robbins, uh, my dad actually texted me about this. And he tweeted, you can follow him if you'd like to. He tweets about Vanderbilt Great follow. Um, He said, so I went back and saw the end again because this was bothering me. Robbins was obviously laboring and winded. And at the 440 mark, clearly signaled to the bench he needed to come out. He never came back in again. He was completely gassed. And so I went back because he texted me that and tweeted it basically the same thing. And I went back and watched and he's right. Liam Robbins was completely gassed and stack at the end with that quote, without a doubt, this is why players play hard for him. He was covering, he was covering for the fact that Liam Robbins was completely gassed. I believe he played 26 minutes in the previous game, but 25 minutes like he played in this game against Alabama on Tuesday night is different than 25 minutes against almost any other opponent in the country. Even though Vanderbilt did a good job early of slowing down that pace, Alabama is still top 15 in the country in adjusted tempo. And so that 25 minutes to Liam Robbins against a smaller Alabama lineup, especially with their center in foul trouble for most of the game, he was probably gassed. And he probably had nothing left in the tank. And QMB is probably in better game shape. And probably at that moment, even though Liam Robbins is a better player than QMB and provides more, in my opinion, on both the offensive and defensive end, I think QMB is probably a better rebounder. But other than that, I think William Robbins is probably a better player. He was gassed. He had no yeah, legs. Yeah. He's coming back from injury. Yeah. He's really only a second full game back in the rotation, really in the rotation. So that'll get better. Yeah. But I think in, stack at the end. Once I went back and saw it, I was like, okay. Yeah. I'm not as in, mad about in the that moment, at the end anymore. In the moment, it, it would be the consensus, I think, from Vandy fans was, where where the hell is Liam Robbins? Mm-hmm. What, what, oh, what, let's you know freak out mode. But it, looking back, I'm with you, and that's that's one thing that that I think Vanderbilt fans looking back out will, will kind of understand. But will let's talk about the substitutions, and there's a lot in this game, and this is something that I think is obvious, and it, it's a common sense type of thing. After the game, Stackhouse said the game was won on Alabama getting more 50-50 balls. 
I disagree with that. I, I think the game was won by Alabama when they went on the 9-0 run when Vanderbilt had Drew Weicker, Trey Thomas, Gabe Dorsey, Shane Dazoni, and Taron Frank out on the floor. You're not going to win any games with those guys out there. I know they weren't out there for the entire game. Not saying that, but they were out there for a very, well, it's very not even important just, It's stretch. not even just that lineup, and it's not just that. Yeah. It's not just where you have nobody. It's also they ran that same lineup with having Jordan Wright in there as opposed to one of those guys and then ran the same lineup with Jordan Wright out of the game, a mixture of those four guys and Scottie Pippen Jr. That's still an awful lineup. It's just yeah. it doesn't look as bad when you say you've also got your number one and number two scorer in there. One of those two guys is at least on the court. But you can't have all those guys out at once, Billy. And I think yeah. that's where our issue is. I just said that. You, you know, I was just thinking that, actually, you, I don't have a problem with Scotty and those guys getting rest. You have to give your starters rest at some point in the game. But you cannot rest all of them at the same time. You well, just can't. That's where somebody said Scotty Pippen Jr. played 36 minutes. He only set out for four minutes. How are you going? And I said, what I wanted to tweet out, and people are just going to take it out of context, is rotation does not equal minutes played. Like looking at the box score and looking at the minutes after the game, I don't have a problem with that. I don't. No, I think some no. of the guys could have played more. Maybe at this point in the season, I think the rotation could tighten up. You don't need to play ten guys at this point in the season. Most teams are not doing that. But I don't have a problem with like Pippen's thirty six or Liam Robbins no, twenty five. No. It's when they were out of the game. It was not the moment to give them that rest or kind of staggered substitute in guys from the bench. You had all of them in or all of them out, mm -hmm. which then you just dig yourself a hole and you can't dig out of that hole against a good, even a good basketball team, not a great basketball team, but a good basketball team yeah. in Alabama. Once you give them that momentum, it's over. Yeah, and that's where they took control of the game. I know Vandy fought back, but it was it, it ended up being a little bit too big of a hole. And, and that's where you look at, you look at that run. And, and Stackhouse said after the game, he said, I coach my team how I want to coach my team. It was time for them to get the rotation for the guys in there. Scotty wasn't playing well. He was watching the game. It didn't matter who was in there. We didn't have the guys that were playing well, so they needed to come out of the game and get a breather to be able to close the game the way that they did. Again, you can't I do disagree. it at the same time. <laughs> you, I, I disagree because you can't do it at the same time. You know, maybe you give Scotty a rest and, and Jordan a rest at the same time, but that should rarely happen, actually. Um, but, and, and, but you leave Liam in there or you leave Tyron in there or you leave Q in there. You've got to have a core in there still. You know, I mean, I'm well, not surprised. Bama it's won not on a the core. It's not run. starters, how I, how I see it. And I, I'm trying to put this out in like a way that makes sense because I know what I'm trying to say. But a lot of times when people hear me say this, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? But <laughs> You have to have what their starting lineup has. So a, a basketball team that can win, you have to have at least two guys that can score, create their own offense. So that doesn't mean can shoot. That means can score. So that's Scottie Pippen Jr. Take him off the dribble or shoot. Jordan Wright can take him off the dribble. A really, really good basketball team has more than two guys on the court at most of the time. Or you can have one guy that can create their offense and two true knockdown shooters around him, at least on the court. Vanderbilt was running lineups with zero scores mm -hmm. and one shooter or zero scores and two shooters or one it was almost and like one shooter that's not going to work you can't have Tyron Lawrence is not a scorer or a shooter QMB is not a scorer or a shooter Taron Frank is not a scorer or a shooter Shane Dizoni is not a short scorer or a shooter therefore those four guys cannot be on the court at the same time Drew Weikert is a shooter but he's not a scorer so he has to be paired with certain groups. Therefore, that team had no chance of succeeding. They literally, 
if that team played their best basketball the entire time they were out on the court, they still aren't going to be able to score and they're still going to lose. They're still going to put up zero points. That's where I get to is not that the minutes are wrong. It's just, where is the offense going to come from? Stack just needs to take a step back because coaches get too close watching practice every day and say objectively, right now you probably have this team's five worst offensive players in the court at the same time. And that's undeniable, even though I think Tyron Lawrence has potential for the future. Drew Weikert has a good jump shot and actually has played well and hit some shots yeah. in some pretty key moments recently in the last couple of games. But they're not scorers, and they're not going to produce offensively on their own. You only really have Chapman when he's healthy, Scottie Pippen Jr., and Jordan Wright, and now Liam Robbins. Those are really your four scores. You have to have at least one of them on the court at all times. Preferably, you have to have two of them on the court at all times if you really want to compete against yeah. the top 25 team. And Stack, you've got to tighten the rotation, man. we yeah. got three games left. There's yeah. no reason to be playing guys that have no business being out of the court that were playing two minutes early in the season tighten the rotation up yeah it's not it's not your starters should be all playing pretty much yeah it's not non-conference basketball anymore you know you're not early in the season and and trying to get these guys experience the the time for experience was non-conference basketball and and right now you're in the the thick of your season and you know that's that stretch run tells you everything you know about the game it really does and i know vanderbilt was able to fight back and stackhouse isn't going to point to that at the end but that's where the game turned, and it didn't feel like – it felt like Alabama still had control even when Vanderbilt was making that comeback at the end. I know they got it to within, what, two? Did they get it to win, within two, Will, there at the end? Um, I don't mm-hmm. think they, they, they tied it at the end, but it, it, it just felt like Alabama had seized momentum. And, yes, they made some big shots. <laughs> I mean, give they credit. They got it within one because remember got Pippen it. missed that second of the free throws. Right, right. 71-70. Huge miss. Huge miss from, from Scotty, and that's what I'm talking about with the free throws. Uh, but, Will, they they stepped up and made shots. I do think a big part of this game was Alabama, and, you know, they're, they're just hitting shots. I mean, that, 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 that was another part of it. You know, yes, the stretch was a huge part of that game, but at the same time, Vanderbilt didn't hit, hit enough shots in the second half. They, they really didn't. I mean, Jordan Wright, one for six from the field. Scotty Pippen made two. He was two of five from three. Not bad. Um, but And he had Liam Robbins make some shots. But I talked about it. You needed a guy to step up and make shots. Studi, he wasn't in double figures. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to have got, – Alabama had guys step up. And this late in the season, in these big-time SEC games, it's about shot making. And if you can't make shots – you're, you're digging yourself a hole and, and it, you're digging, digging yourself an even bigger hole when you're playing those five guys in that stretch. So, well, the rotation has been something all season long that, that has been an issue. I do think an underlying issue here is the amount of depth this team doesn't have. I mean, the, the, the horses just aren't there. Now, I still think there's, there's adjustments that can be made with the staff and how they rotate, but, man, it feels like they, they would have had a lot better shot down at the, down at the stretch of this game with, with Rodney Chapman. This, yeah, is this, a type, is... this is the type of game that you really could have used Rodney. Well, this is like why it's good. The instant reactions are great, and they get unfiltered feedback, and you're immediate. You remember everything that you just watched from the game, and that's why the immediate reactions we do sometimes. Those, those are great. dangerous. Those are dangerous. The, the good part of not doing it immediately is you can go back and look, and you can you can kind of take a step back and gather yourself, level your head, and say, okay, this team was without Jermaine Mann, who I'm. He's injured, injury of some sort. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'd imagine there's some type of injury. I don't know if you know anything about. I, that. I don't. But he's above. I mean, he was yeah. he was above the rotation of Taron Frank, and he yeah. now Frank is playing. He played eighteen or 
what Terrence Frank played 10 minutes this game. I think so. So yeah. those were Jermaine Mann's minutes. And then Tyra Lawrence played 21 minutes. Well, actually, those are probably Chapman's minutes um, that would have been very useful to have in this game as a secondary ball Maybe. handler against an up-tempo Alabama team. Lawrence would have dropped down and probably played the combination of and reduced the minutes of Trey Thomas, Dizoni, Dorsey, right. Weikert. That would have been where Lawrence would have come in, but you're hamstrung by injuries. Mm -hmm. And we just keep saying that, but when you're starting your two centers, you're really your only true two centers are in your starting lineup. You put yourself in a tough spot. And that's a very effective lineup, and it's really, really good early in the game, and it seems to be having a lot of success early. But you don't have another center on your roster. And Taron Frank is not a center. Taron Frank is not a, not a power, high-level college basketball player. He's not a major conference college basketball player. He's really probably would struggle to get in the rotation of a lot of mid-major basketball programs. He probably is at the level of about like a Tennessee Tech Austin P. He's still a Division One basketball player, not an SEC basketball player, but he's big. And so they're forced to use him in the rotation, and he's just not going to score. He's a black hole. He's what QMB was last year. Black hole. It's like he does he he does more harm on offense when he touches the ball than good. And QMB developed to the point he's actually a much better decision maker. He can finish around the basket, but Frank is a forward and like controls the ball. It's it, it, it it's, it's weird. a weird it's, flow of the game it's, it's on offense a weird when situation. he's in there. But you ha but that's why the immediate reaction is good not to do because I was ready to come and rip every bit of the rotation, which we've already set our issues with it. With that being said, these guys have to rest at some point. And at some point, you're going to have to put in a guy like Taron Frank if you're going to go with the two centers to. in your starting lineup. And we like that lineup. So if you like that lineup and Jermaine Mann is not healthy, you have to put in another big body at some point. You only have one other guy that's the big body on the roster. So it has to be Taron Frank. Yeah. So everybody complaining, either they can stop running two centers at the same time till very late in the game, like last five minutes, ever, or Taron Frank is going to see the court. So that's the decision you have to make because Liam Robbins and QMB are not – once they start together, going to be able to swap rotation throughout the game and both be on the court at the same time. There's going to be five to ten minutes that you're going to need a third center on that roster. And right now, that's Taron Frank. And that's just one of the holes because also you don't have guard depth. You don't have guard scoring depth without Chapman. And so injuries, 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 Billy. I mean, we keep saying it, but it's not even an excuse. It's just the truth. It's the fact of the matter right now. I mean, the, the Kevin Stallings curse continues. And, well, I know we've talked about a lot of bad, but I, I want to talk about some of the good down the stretch. Uh, it, it might, it's, it, it's always a little bit harder to do that after a loss, but this team fought back. And, and, and I'll give them credit. I mean, they could have folded. They, put have, they, they could have packed up their bags and, and called it quits. But they kept fighting, and they fought all season long. I mean, the, the fight in this team, you can tell they want to win for Stackhouse. They want to win uh, because they're, they're, there's, there's some winners on this team. Yeah, like the, Liam Robbins is a winner. He's a gutsy player, mm -hmm. and he's, he's starting to show some emotion. He's starting to show some because, swagger. Because that, well, you know why, Billy? Because everyone else on this roster has not won before. That's the, that's the difference. Yeah, I, I, Liam I talk, Robbins is coming from a winning program, exactly. and he's had success, so he comes in with this swagger about him that's different than what anyone else has maybe besides Scottie Pippen Jr. Is he goes out there and he's like, we, I'm better than everyone and we know how to win. And that's the attitude you have to have, and they haven't had it. And you've seen glimpses. Yeah, you've seen little they've, glimpses. They've Billy. needed it. They've really needed it. Same with Rodney Chapman. Rodney Chapman, when he's been mm. on the floor, he's a winner. 
I think Scotty Pippen's a winner. He makes winning plays. Uh, but other than that, Will, I still think there's a lot of guys in this team that just they're kind of on the on the fence there. I know they want to win, but do they have what it takes to make those plays down the stretch and and do whatever it takes? Take a charge, make a big shot, uh, you know, create a turnover. There, there's certain things that you know, other than scoring, that that there's other teams I feel like are doing when they're beating Vandy. You know, Alabama, I do think they just they don't got- have shock. They don't have the guys coming off the bench. They just don't have they don't have Quinn early. They don't that that's what they don't have. They don't have the guy that has the potential. Trey Thomas is really the only guy that you say has the potential to do that. And he really hasn't been doing it like he's not been shooting well. He's shooting under, I think, right at or right under 30 yeah. percent from three this year. And he's still having plays consistently run for him. And Miles Studi is not having plays consistently run for him. And Miles Studi is shooting 45% from three this season. I don't know what the issue that Stack has with Miles Studi is. I don't understand it. I don't know what that – I know that's it could, really, yeah, it, it could be. Really, but before we get there, I mean, I don't understand. It could He's the be only guy on the team that can fucking shoot. It, <laughs> I don't care. He's the only guy that can shoot on the whole roster. He's the only guy. He's it. There's, Stackhouse has something on Miles Studi. I don't know what it is. And he, he, but he's the best shooter on the team. I'm telling you, it's and, because he's not a good defender. It's what we said before the year. He's like a little bit slow footed, but he's the only guy that's shooting over 40% from three stacks. So he can give up 10 points. It still makes it worth it. Like it still makes it worth it. Stack is going to play the better defender. And, and, you know, that's like as, my high school coach. <laughs> same, same, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, any more bad you got, Will? I, I, and one more bad thing I, I have is the play drawn up for Trey Thomas at the very end. <laughs> The way Scotty was playing and the way he was getting into the paint and drawing fouls, why not send him a ball screen? That, and say, that's the one that it, that's get in exactly there and draw a foul. I mean, you know, that's that's another type of common sense thing. And he had a timeout left too. He had a timeout left, and again, sometimes the timeout will disrupt rhythm. I get that. I don't. I'm not saying he had to have taken the timeout, but. At that point, I feel like it's common sense to to say, "Hey, give Scotty a ball screen, let him head fake a few times, draw a foul. He's got to make the free throws." But I mean, Jordan Wright, you saw what happened, missed the layup. Yes, that's I think that's bad luck. You could point to the Kevin Stallings curse on that. But the original play was drawn up for a corner three from Trey Thomas to win the game. And you know, we can look back at this will and 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 say, hey, if 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 Scotty Pippen would have drawn the foul but missed the free throws, I might be sitting here saying, hey, we should have drawn it up for somebody else. But at the same time, I, I at in that moment, the way Scotty was drawing fouls and getting in the paint, that's what I'm looking at. I mean, I don't know, right, well, I don't know yeah, if we'll you get agree, a, we'll but... get a key point number five here on my <laughs> written down sheet, which is the play at the end of the game. Uh, because this isn't a simple, simple answer for me on if I liked it or not. Because I tweeted that great play design that got an open look that should have gone in or something like that. But mm. I said, but how do you not put the ball in Pippen's hands at the end of the game? And somebody responded to me and said something like, because the defense expected it or knew it was going to come. And I was like, okay, so this is, yes, I think I don't think Stack's to blame at the end whatsoever. Because Jordan Wright got an open layup with eight seconds left to tie the game on his play design and that three was going to be open so it's like you can't really put well, it on stack when he gets his two guys exactly the shots they want like what they dream of and they just don't knock them down or don't execute that's not on the coach yeah but the only criticism i can have is i and this is just an opinion this isn't it saying anything actually right or wrong because i think stack did a good job at the end of the game got them a look they just missed it that happens in basketball it happens but i am of the opinion that i am I feel way better after living and dying by your clear star winning or losing you the game. 
Scottie Pippen Jr. was the best player on the court, maybe besides Quinterly, because he was absolutely unconscious from three and shooting in general. But Scottie Pippen Jr. was the best player. He'd been unstoppable the entire game. And in response, I wanted to say, yeah, Alabama knew it was coming, but they knew it was coming the last six minutes of the game as well, and they couldn't and it's stop still, it. Yep, yep. But even if Pippen comes out and it's and it doesn't work out, I can live with my best player losing me a game. Or I can live with, like, when he held the ball too long, I don't remember, was that the South Carolina game and didn't get the shot off at the end or whatever yeah, it was? Yeah, I think it was one I was of like, the South Carolina. I'm frustrated, but I'm like, he's the only reason you're even in this game. So, therefore, you can't be mad at him because he also had six steals. He also played a hell of a game defensively. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, six steals, six assists. He played a complete game. Yeah. But, Billy, the one more negative, because we talked about the last play, you know where I'm going to go with it, free throws. Because guess what, Alabama, guess what Alabama shot from the free throw line? 22 like, of 25, 88%. 88%. Guess what Vanderbilt shot from the free like throw 50 line? 27 of 36 for 75%. Not bad, right? That's not, that's not bad at all. But you know what the difference in the game was? It was two points, Billy. That was the real difference in the free game throws. was two points. That's what and this you know game the difference in 88% versus 75% on the number of attempts that Vanderbilt had? They would have hit 31.683 or free throws, Billy, which would have been four and a half more points theoretically shooting the same percentage that Alabama did. And guess who comes out on top adding four and a half points to their score? The Vanderbilt Commodores win this game. 76 and a half to 74 if they shoot the same percentage from the free throw line as Alabama. Once again, I th- I've got to go back and look. We'll look at the end of the season. But I think almost every single game besides like the Florida game and maybe the VCU game, the loss differential is the difference in free throw percentages versus their opponent in a lot of these I, losses. I, yeah, I'd be, I'd, be willing, it's, it's, I'd it's, be willing to bet. It hurts a lot to say that when you have a team that shoots a lot of free throws. It's like what we said about the three-point attempts. They're shooting a lot of threes and not hitting a lot. They're also shooting a lot of free throws, and they're not shooting a great percentage from the free throw line. Like Scottie Pippen Jr., he's shooting, what, like 73%, 74%. He had a good game. But with the amount he's getting to the free throw line and how good of a shooter and scorer he is, he should be shooting at least 80%. And when you're shooting as many free throws as he is, that's 10 to 20, 30 points a season. When you're losing tight games, and you're how Vanderbilt is this year, there's lost a lot of tight games in conference play. I mean, I think you're a total of eight points away from having four more wins in this conference. And those points matter a lot. And, and this team has just not improved at all throughout the season from the free throw line. It's been a problem from game one, and it's still a problem with three games left in the season. Yeah, and free throws will, especially late in the game, that comes down to, you know, blocking everything out and just shooting the shot. I mean, shoot your shot. And Bama did that. They made the shots they had to. They made the free throws they had to. And Vanderbilt well, Bama didn't. didn't even shoot well, but it just felt like every time down the stretch. they needed it, every yep. time they needed the shot that was like, Vandy's finally pulled within two or finally pulled within four or five, they would bury a three. Mm-hmm. And then Vandy would come down and then they'd cut Vandy would cut it to three and then Alabama would bury the shot and it would be six. And then so Vandy was just climbing out of this hole yeah. and every time Bama needed it, really needed it, they hit it. And they still shot under 30% from three. Yeah, so. they, they didn't shoot great from three, but like you said, they kept hitting those daggers and they were in desperation mode the whole night. I mean, they, they knew they they needed this game. Not that Vanderbilt didn't, but it was almost like Alabama was in survival mode. And they said they were thinking to themselves, if they don't, we don't win this, there's our shot at an NCAA tournament bid is, is almost down the drain. I mean, they, they still got a lot of games left, but they could not really afford to lose this. So 
Well, beefy episode. Let's go to their NIT chances right now. The NIT, interestingly enough, I didn't know this, but they only require a 500 overall record for selection. So Vanderbilt, they finished 500. Not to say they're going to get in, but they've got a nice shot, especially I think if, if they, if can they win finish, down, if, if they, they can they win games down the stretch here, and and if they win the next three, I think they're in the NIT, no matter what. Oh yeah, yeah. Now I, mean, if, I think if they win two out of the next three, I think they're in. Yeah, but it, if, if but they win, I think it'll be sweating it out. I don't yeah. think it'll be guaranteed, but I think they'll be in. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know how the NIT selection committee actually grades out teams. Like, what are they looking for? You know, I mean, I, I, do they just take the next sixty, the next thirty-two? I think they have thirty-two teams in there. I don't know how they grade that out, but it'll be interesting. I mean, I think they have to have a good SEC tournament, no matter what. I think they have, you know. If they win the next three, well, they take, in, well first but, off, the NIT, so I don't know if you knew this already, but the NIT, so if you're in like the OVC and you won the regular season championship but didn't win the conference tournament championship, you're in. you don't get that you, you don't get the auto bid to the NCAA, but you get an auto bid to the NIT. Yes. So, so that, there's that's a, there's a some bids there's some bids so, that are gonna be stolen. Yeah, so that's that's good because like I remember Belmont, they've gotten an at large bid recently, but before they were as prevalent as they are on the national stage and really paired off with Murray State and John Morant mm-hmm. helped out with a lot of that. But I remember that being a big deal because Belmont was in the Atlantic Sun before they went to the OVC. And they would be like undefeated in the regular season and just dominate everyone and like but lose the get championship ups- and get the upset in like the second or third like in the third round or in the championship of the Atlantic Sun and then they don't get to go to the NCAA tournament they're like twenty eight and two just and don't get to go to the NCAA tournament yeah. so so there's yeah, some that, bids that's the that, that will be stolen so maybe we should get somebody from the NIT selection committee on here try to try to dig deep on Vandy and, and there but will still looking at their resume. I think if they would have won out, I'm 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 starting I'm, to I'm I'm starting to agree with you because looking at their resume, I had to do you. some I had to do I had to do some more digging, but if they if they would have won all four, the, the, these four and of course they lost Alabama, I think they would have been in. No, they you know? would have because that's what I kept saying is it's you have to look at it. From it would have been outside. close, but I think well, I don't even think because. They would have these last four games because you're looking at it now, like you're looking at their wins. They would have had four more Q or three or four more Q1. And, and all four of those and teams it would have had a on their schedule record. were just barely ahead of them. Like, like that's they, what I'm saying is yeah. that they would have had, I think, and I could be wrong, I'll have to look at it, but I think if they would have won the last four, they would have had a winning record against Q1 teams, yes. which no way in hell the NCAA tournament committee to a team that had seven Q1 wins and a winning record was going to keep that team out of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, now, I'm, I think I'm where it does that. get interesting is I don't think Vanderbilt has a chance, but if they were to win these last three and win a couple games in the, in the SEC, they would still make it. But that's probably not going to happen. Like the realistic <laughs> part of that was like they could lose or they could win these four and then win one game and then like it's there. Mm-hmm. Now that's case. Bama was the signature win available of mm-hmm. these remaining. Now you're playing basically three bubble teams the remainder of the season. You're yeah. playing Florida, Mississippi I wonder, State. Has a team with 13 losses ever made the tournament? Well, Vandy uh, made it with 16, buddy. 16. Do you not Dude. remember that with Wade Baldwin? They, they had, played in the playing had, game against Wichita State. They had 16 uh, My freshman losses? year of college. Yes. Man, how how did they get it? I still can't believe that. You're not. I'm shocked you don't. Uh, I, you don't I remember. remember I remember now. I can't believe they had 16. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they were 19 and 16 under Bryce Drew. Were they, what was their record heading into the tournament? Uh, was it like me, I'm I think, the page. I didn't think we'd be going down this path. Right me now. neither. But I'm trying to think about like 13 losses. That's 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 happened before. And and this I is mean, the, the fact- Matthew Fisher. This is the Matthew Fisher yeah. Davis team. Is the one that lost to Northwestern on that foul. 
And they made it the the one I was talking about was actually 1914, which was the previous year, which was Wade Baldwin. This is the team with Matthew Fisher Davis, but they were they were at 15, 17 at... and 14, and they beat Florida, number 12 Florida, last game of the regular season, and then beat Texas A&M and beat Florida again in the SEC tournament. So they went into that tournament being 17 and 14. So that's okay. why I keep saying. So 14, yeah, the losses broken. are not a problem right now. No, that's where I keep getting at is everybody's broken because Vanderbilt basketball has been so bad for the last three, four years. Normal year. So like erase the last three, four years from your memory. We would be sitting here discussing what they needed to do to make the NCAA tournament. But right because now. of what's happened with this program, because, there's, exactly. there's that looming over us. That, that, because that they have, because they, right now, I would consider what they have, like before this Bama game, they had a chance. Now I consider them to have a long shot to make it. Yeah. But like they still have like it's theoretically in the numbers. They have enough games and enough opportunities to make the tournament. It's not yeah. going to happen. I think the NIT is a good goal and staying out of that first four is a goal. Yeah. We never said the NCAA tournament was. But it's not out of the realm of possibility, and everybody's talking about it like it's done. And I'm like, this team just made the tournament at 19 and 16, and the year before made it at 19 and 14. Mm-hmm. They have 13 losses with winnable games upcoming. Yeah, I'm like, this is the exact resume that they've gotten into the tournament in a lot of years previously in an NCAA tournament. This field this year, it's really not that good. It's probably the weakest bubble weak. that it's I've weak. ever seen, and just the weakest field that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. You have like Providence ranked in the top ten. Like, what the <laughs> hell is that, man? What's going on, the Friars? But yeah, well, I'm, I'm with you in that. The fact that we're even talking about this right now is a huge step ahead. Ma- right, I now mean, can I make my statement? My number ahead. one on my list. Ma- number which is one the same statement. Says, will says. Just because Vanderbilt lost to the number 24 team in the country, the future is still bright and all is not lost. I have I saw, to take a I saw a you tweet pill. that. I saw you Got to put that. that one out there. It's like, I thought guys, that was a good tweet. This two-point loss to a, the number 24 team in the country does not mean that Jerry Stackhouse has no idea how to coach when he's missing <laughs> two of his guys. Like, that's where I get to is that's why it's good not doing the immediate reaction. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it were was... there some issues? Yes, but this team's not the number 10 team in the country. Like, they were, what, nine-point underdog or like five – to eight I think it was four and a half. I think to Alabama on their home yeah. court. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it had shifted down a little bit actually, but they yeah. actually covered. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Man. Great teams so, cover. Don't worry. Great team. <laughs> Fanny covered. That means they're a great team. But well, I'm. It, it's it's it, it is tough to look at this team right now. But like I said, they're they're uh, they they've got a, as good of a chance as anyone to make the NIT, and that's a step ahead. They were very far from making the NIT last season. So uh, big one this weekend at Mississippi State down in Startville. So Vanderbilt is uh, Startville. Uh, But uh, yeah, so Will, again, you got to win this one if you want to make the NIT, I think. All these three teams remaining on their – this is the weird part. Do they have to win the last three to make the NIT? Ole Miss is a bubble team, correct? Like they're in the tournament is what I – they're not – no, Ole Miss really? is really bad. Yeah, even with the, like their twenty-one wins, because I know Ole, they're ranked Miss, lower in the. No, they're Ole ranked Miss, lower in the. Ken Palm, the Ole Miss is I could like, be horribly wrong. On I this think you, Ole Miss is like five hundred overall. Okay, well, I'm stupid. No, but I let think me, let me look at this. You're are you? You uh, might be thinking of Mississippi yeah, State. I am thinking of Mississippi State. I'm yeah. dumb. but yes, yeah. Mississippi State is who I was going to talk yeah. about here. Is the best opponent remaining? on the mm-hmm. schedule you would look they, at florida and think that is the best opponent because it's florida no Mississippi i'm, State's I'm not impressed by florida yeah no <laughs> but florida, florida vanderbilt just never seems to play their best basketball against florida since what we just referenced about them basically beating florida that, twice yeah. to make the ncaa tournament i mean since then 
for whatever reason, Vanderbilt put up 42 points against Florida in their previous matchup. Florida only scored 61, but Vanderbilt still only only, almost lost by 20 points. Like that should (laughs) never happen. So I actually have a very good feeling about the Auburn game. I think it's very rare you have two bad offensive performances in a basketball game, in a bas in basketball at high school or college level in conference play, district play, same thing. Yeah. But you rarely have two really bad offensive performances against the same team. Mm-hmm. So I would expect even if they lose, I don't think it's going to be because be because they put up forty two points. No, no. And Mike White owns Vanderbilt ever, ever oh. since he, you know, I, I know they beat him in the tournament that year, but ever since that, he's gone on a rampage. So, uh, but yeah, Mississippi State, uh, I think that's a night tip off, Will, if I'm not mistaken, uh, down in Starkville. So uh, Vanderbilt making the trip down uh, to Mississippi, and then they've got uh, they've got Florida and Ole Miss in some order next uh, week. No, Mississippi State, noon. Noon, early, yep. early tip, early. Uh, early tip in Starkville noon. And then they've got Ole Miss in Florida in, in, uh, in some order next week. So, uh, well, it'll be really interesting to see what this team does down the stretch here. And if they are able to make that NIT, because yeah, that, just to that's lay the out that schedule, Billy, uh, you've got Mississippi state on Saturday at noon. I think all these are Eastern every device. I yeah. own has been flipping back and forth between Eastern and central. Cause I'm in Charleston now, but then they play Florida at home on the 1st of March. Uh, that's a Tuesday at 7.30. And then they play at Ole Miss at 5 p.m. All of those are on SEC Network. And that game against Ole Miss is on the 5th. So those are the mm-hmm. remaining three games. So yeah. all of them on SEC Network. So uh, SEC Network. Go. Vanderbilt has lived on the SEC Network this yes, year. Yes, they have. And uh, <laughs> they'll, be, uh, they'll be going down to Tampa for the SEC tournament, uh, by the way. I hate that. I hate it. I kind of like it because I'm down here. I might actually go, but I don't like. I wouldn't like it if I'm in Nashville. Well, it's uh, always in – first off, it's always in Nashville, and I love going – that's like one of my favorite things. So like Big T that's come on the podcast from Barstool a few times. Me and him, that was our thing we did in high school. Is And he came back. We would actually come back from college when he was still at uh, UT Knoxville. And we went for like six straight years to the to the SEC tournament. Just random games. And, but I just want to say this. If anybody from the SEC is listening, why in the hell did you choose Tampa to host this? What are they paying you to host this tournament? Because the idea of having it in Nashville, that makes a whole lot of effing sense. I'm sorry not to drop the F-bombs as much anymore, <laughs> Billy. Is Nashville is in the middle of the SEC. Is You have t- Texas A&M. It's a melting pot. Kind of e- equidistant from Florida and down in Gainesville. Kind of equidistant from South Carolina and Lexington. Mm-hmm. Kentucky from Lexington. Oh, my God. That is a long trip. That's a, that's a plane ride. There. A&M is a long trip. Missouri, this makes no sense. Not only is it worse on the teams for traveling, it's worse on the fans for getting to the game. I'll be and interested you're to not, see the crowd. And you're going to a worse city. You're not going to a better city. I don't think anybody would say Tampa's better than no. Nashville. No. So anyone explain to me this decision. If you can explain it to me why Tampa is a better site to host this tournament, I'll pay you a million dollars. You won't be able to do it because it makes no sense. I don't know what <laughs> bribery is going on inside the SEC corporate offices. But this decision, I, don't, I hate it. When's I the last? When's the last time it was in Tampa? I I, I don't. I don't know. It's, it's it's been in Nashville for a long time. Yeah, they had one in uh, St. Louis, I think, uh, a few mm-hmm. years ago. But yeah, let's just keep it in Nashville. Let, let, let's. Uh, yeah, let, why I, why did you have to? That. It wasn't broken. I don't. Why, why do you what have SC, to screw? What why do you have fan? to mess with Big T and Will's tradition? That, that, that well, was, no, I'm just saying. Like this is one of those things that they changed it, and you were like, okay, what fan has complained about it being in Nashville? What team has? I know these college students I know, like it being in I know Nashville. Damn well, I'll tell you Kentucky that. fans weren't complaining. 
Yeah, they Kentucky were... fans weren't complaining. I don't know who was complaining. I know that coaches and their families liked it because you have great food and maybe, you can go maybe, out. The maybe. players liked it because they can go out to all the bars after their games during the tournament. And fans liked it because you're going to a destination city with great food, great bars, other stuff to do. I don't get it, Billy. Maybe, maybe Florida. Maybe about. Florida was pissed about not having it in their state for a while. I don't know. But <laughs> that'll be interesting, Will, uh, to see what it looks like in Tampa, the crowd and everything. But uh, NIT chances are alive. And you got a big one in Starkville. So Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. But, well, coming up, we're talking a little baseball. And uh, Vanderbilt, ha- it's been awful weather uh, in Nashville, mm-hmm. by the way. They have freezing rain on uh, yep. Tuesday night. Vanderbilt played a game somehow last night. They, they beat uh, Evansville. Uh, but they'll play Army at the Hawk this weekend. I talked a little college baseball with uh, Aaron Fitz. And, well, again, I'm, I'm, I, I won't take the blame for this one. But if it happens again to where I don't uh, get somehow get you on, I'm taking that blame. It, I, I, yeah, it's this, not going to happen again. This one was on me. I was trying to get set up, like I said, so I don't want the blame to be put on you. But next one, Billy, if I'm next not on one. it, you know, I might have to I might have to fly down to Florida instead of flying back <laughs> to Nashville from Charleston and also have to come smack you in the face. Then I'll fly back to Nashville. So, <laughs> no, I want to I want to be on the next interview. People probably think like You're... I'm nervous to come on the interview. I just can never like get the timing right. We'll get you on. We'll, we'll get you on, and uh, we'll make it happen. But coming up, Aaron Fit from D1 Baseball. Talk a little Vandy boys in the SEC on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Door Report alongside Aaron Fit. I'm Billy Derrick, and it's time to talk some college baseball. Aaron is the co-editor and national writer for D1Baseball.com. He's done a great job over at that website. I really encourage all you guys to check out that website, especially if you're a college baseball fan, especially this time of year uh, with no Major League Baseball going on. A lot, lot of talk around college baseball right now, and we've got Aaron to join us. Aaron, uh, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Billy. How are you? I'm great. I, I want to start in your Twitter bio. You've got hashtag win every podcast. And I, that's, yeah. that's a hell of a hashtag. We're not going to steal it by any means, but h- how would you break down how you guys at D1 Baseball uh, win every podcast? Because I've listened to a few. That they're, they're pretty good. Well, I can't speak for, for runes and Kendall, but I win every podcast that I'm on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to win this podcast today, too. That's the plan. Uh, no, I mean, it, hey, it's all about bringing the heat. You know, we, we try to, we try to get after a little bit. Mike Rooney is as good of a, uh, you know, point guard as we could really ask for. He, he distributes the ball. He, he really fires us up. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to, to pop with those guys for sure. I'm sure it's been tough, Aaron, for to, to cover college baseball, especially, you know, with the way it's changed the past five, 10 years. I mean, 10 years ago, I, I, I find it hard to believe you guys were covering to th- to this extent, and and you know you've been covering it for a while. So uh, with the way it's grown, are are you surprised to see all the eyes on, on college baseball this season? And and has it made your guys tougher? I'm sure it's made uh, your job a little bit more fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really it kind of blows me away how much the sport has grown. You know, just you mentioned ten years ago. Um, I mean, I was still at Baseball America then, and the way we covered the sport was a lot different than the way we cover it now uh, at D1 Baseball. You know, we've got a team of 10, 12 guys, you know, scattered around the country going to games and writing things up. And, um, you know, for us, it's 
it, it's a lot more of just trying to make sure everybody gets enough exposure, you know, because there's, uh, there's so much content that, that, that we are able to crank out because there's an appetite for it, you know, and when I was at BA, it was largely a one man show, you know, trying to cover college baseball. And it's just a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's the, the sport has just really taken off and you look at all the ratings and everything. I mean, our, our, you know, our growth as a company uh, has been very exciting, um, you know, year over year and it just keeps on going and we keep wondering if it's going to flatten out at some point, but um, people love it. You know, yeah. college baseball is in a good spot right now. No doubt about it. And it seems like this season, the way it started, especially with the, the MLB lockout, the momentum is there. And it's really, really fun to watch some of these games this past weekend. And uh, you had a thriller in, in Ruston uh, last night at Louisiana Tech LSU. But let's talk about the one you were in town for in Nashville last weekend. It was the biggest college baseball series of opening weekend, the Cowboys and the Vandy Boys. Uh, real quick, what, what were some of your main takeaways? A uh, lot of talent and, uh, of course, a fun series to watch for you. Yeah, there's a lot of talent on both sides, you know, and, and I thought all three games were really competitive. They all hung in the balance, could have gone either way. Um, and so it was a great way to start the season. I mean, both of these teams are rolling out one really good arm after another. They both have power in the lineup. They both have speed. You know, they can match up with each other a lot of different ways. I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, and, and there's a reason both those teams were ranked in the preseason top 10. And I, and I walked away feeling like both of them look like, you know, top 10 caliber teams and, um, either one of those teams could be in Omaha and, and fighting to win it all. You know, I, I just think that there's pieces that have to come together still, certainly. I mean, Vanderbilt didn't, didn't play its A game this weekend, um, and still they were right at it. I mean, it didn't play great defense on the left side. They struck out a lot, you know, more than you expect for a Tim Corbin team. They pitched pretty well, but, I mean, they, they, weren't, they weren't their best this weekend and still they were right there, you know, mm -hmm. at the end and, yeah. and on Saturday and Sunday. And, and uh, I mean, they came back, they kind of had to scrap and claw and tie that game in the, the eighth inning or ninth inning, whatever it was, eighth inning, I guess it was yeah. on, on, uh, on Sunday. And, and then, you know, you kind of get deflated when Oklahoma state comes right back with an answer, but uh, it was a great ball game. Yeah, especially, you know, to open the season, I could really tell both those teams, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them in Omaha. And Carter Holton, I want to ask you about him. He's a young kid that got the nod on Sunday, uh, started, I think, with six strikeouts. And, I mean, the guy looked really lively. Yes, he did give up four runs. Uh, that'll happen to freshmen. I think we saw it with uh, Jack Leiter, a young guy last year, where, you know, he's got some velocity, but there's some really good hitters at the college level. So what, what were your uh, takeaways from Carter Holton on Sunday? Yeah, he looked awesome. You know, he came right out of the shoot, struck out the side in the first inning, uh, just pounding, you know, 94, 95, 96 mile an hour heat with life. It's heavy, you know, uh, and he commanded it uh, early on, especially that fastball. And uh, that, that pitch is special. I think that's, that's the bread and butter for him. Um, you know, and, and I've said this before, but he, he reminds me just physically and athletically and the way his arm works uh, reminds me of like a left-handed Sonny Gray. It's, it's that kind of a look. Um, just from the left side and you know he doesn't maybe have quite the the breaking ball that Sonny had at the same age but he can spin it you know he, he can spin a, a slider and a curveball they blend together a little bit but um you know he, he can get get swing and miss with both those pitches I did see a little change up in there didn't use it much but I mean it's a four pitch guy you know it's a true starter top of the rotation profile as he matures uh command faltered just a little bit there I think it was the fourth inning walked a couple guys uh, gave up a few runs but overall very encouraging look and I mean, Josh Holiday was raving about this guy, you know, for Oklahoma State after the game. He said it, it for him, it's like a Billy Wagner kind of a look, you know, and um, he, he thinks he's going to be a superstar, and I certainly agree. 
Aaron, I want to ask you about the atmosphere there. I thought game three was a really good crowd at the Hawk. And, and yeah. you know, for a top 10 series, uh, you would expect that even in colder temperatures. In terms of college baseball venues, you've been to the best. You've been to Starkville. You've been to Oxford. I'm sure you've been to, you know, so many others. Where does the unique atmosphere of Hawkins Field rank for you? Because we've talked about this a lot on our podcast it's a top 10 program, maybe top five yeah. program. And, uh, you know, the, the fan base is not the same as a Starkville or an Oxford, but it still is a great place to watch a game. So where, how would you describe what it's like and, and, and where it ranks? It's, you know, you're right. It's, I mean, it's, they just don't have the sheer numbers that you've got down in Starkville, Oxford, or, you know, <laughs> Fanville or Baton Rouge is just, just is what it is. You're not going to get 12,000 people down uh, in, in Nashville for a game, but uh, it is a tough place to play. It is a good venue and it actually what it reminds me of oh your 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 listeners are going to love this because for some reason they they ragged me for for uh, uh oregon state you know over the years there's been yeah. like an oregon state vanderbilt almost rivalry that is that has yeah. developed at least in the fan bases but it reminds me of going to oregon state you know the fa- it's kind of a funky ballpark you know it's got a lot of characters some like weird little quirks and the fans yeah. are right on top of you and they can be you know they can be on you you know they they, mm. they it, it's like a a similar size crowd that feels bigger than it is. And um, yeah, I think it's really good home field advantage. And again, it's another thing Josh holiday said after was, you know, look, this is a tough place to play. Um, and uh, because, because of the fans and because of the the ballpark and the way that Vandy plays, you know, the dimensions of that park and the turf and all that stuff, like it's a really good home field advantage. It really is. And I think it's a compliment to Vanderbilt fans in that atmosphere that so many people hate it. You know, there, yeah. there, there's a, there's a lot of hatred uh, yeah. with teams going over there and fans, uh, you know, especially from a lot of the SEC fans. But uh, let's let's talk about Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter and and those guys no longer on the team. And and in your experience covering college baseball, you've covered a lot of really good pitchers. Uh, but I don't know if there's a duo like these two and ever in college baseball. I mean, you've seen a lot of good guys, but has any team had to replace two pitchers as good as Rocker and Leiter the next year? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious parallel um, is is UCLA in mm. twenty what was it twenty twelve? They had Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, who were two of the top three picks of the draft. But um, the difference there was, you know, Cole didn't have a very good year as a junior. I, I mean, he, I think he had a losing record, like six and eight or something, and he was kind of frustrated. Bauer was awesome; he he was the mm. Golden Spikes Award winner. But um, you had two elite talents, but they didn't necessarily have elite seasons. Whereas in Vanderbilt's case, Rocker and Leiter were both first team All-Americans, you know, and in top 10 picks. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty unprecedented to have two elite talents that also had elite seasons together. Um, not, not easy to replace that. That's for sure. I mean, I guess, you know, Rice would be another one that comes to mind in 2003 when they won it all with uh, Jeff Neiman and Philip Ombird uh, and Wade Townsend, all of whom were top 10 picks, you know, three guys that, uh, uh, you know, were pretty darn good. That was, a, that was a, maybe the, other, the only thing that can really compare to, to this Vanderbilt staff offensively this Vandy team is as good as any team in the country I think on paper especially with you know the production they've got coming back uh, it's going to depend on the strikeout rate because that was an issue last season especially with uh, some of those guys in the middle of the lineup Uh, Carter Young and Parker Parker Nolan really struggled they've got more pressure on them uh, this year and so offensively Aaron it can happen I think they can lead them to Omaha but how far do you think this team this this offense can take this team yeah, I was expecting this, and I still expect it to be a really good offense. Uh, they didn't 
they didn't really look in character to me this weekend, but you're right. I mean, I, I say that, but they did strike out a lot last year too, you know, and, and even Dom Keegan, as great a year as he had, he struck out a lot last year and he had mm-hmm. his share. He had a share, I think, of strikeouts this weekend too. I mean, it's a guy that, you know, from one at bat to the next, he must have a short memory because he can look terrible in one at bat and then come yeah. out and, you know, drill a ball off the wall, you know, next at bat. But um, yeah, Nolan, I thought really struggled, especially against, you know, quality fastballs this weekend. Uh, it seemed like even in fastball counts, when he's geared up for it, he just he just couldn't catch it, which surprised me a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean Carter Young was just a strikeout machine this weekend, so which more than the same. I mean he struck out a lot last year, but you know, he still had a good year last year, and he still can have a good year this year. But you'd like to see maybe a little more discipline there. So we'll see if that materializes as the season unfolds. But I mean, I still feel like all those guys have tools. You know, they all have some track record. They've all hit before. They will hit again. Um, and then you throw in a Spencer Jones, who I think is really a big time breakout guy this year. Um, you, know, you can see it, you know, there's a reason he's hitting three hole right out of the gate to start the season. Um, he didn't have a great year last year. I mean, another guy that struck out, I think it was like 33 strikeouts to seven walks or something. So like the approach piece still needed to come and it's coming. And it's just like, you know, the way he uses the opposite field. It's just a very, it's like Keegan, you know, Keegan excels at driving the ball the other way. And, and Jones does that too. But I think Jones has more of a, a, a contact oriented swing. I mean, he's got power too, but it's a line drive machine, you know, and I think he's going to strike out less probably than, than a Keegan will. But um, I think he's going to hit a lot of doubles off that big wall. He's going to hit a bunch of home runs the other way. Um, I love watching him run, you know, for a big six, seven yeah. guy he glides around. He's, he's an awesome athlete. So you, know, you throw him in the mix. And of course you've got Bradfield. I mean, you know, Bradfield didn't have a great weekend, but he's Bradfield. Like, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's a rock star. Everybody knows that he'll be fine. And then uh, I, I loved what, you know, Javi Vaz did at the bottom, um, kind of helped to turn that lineup over. Talk about a spark plug veteran guy who does give you lots of quality at bats and showed a little bit of strength this weekend. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he uh, got one out of there, and and uh, that's something I don't think we we expected. But for for no. that offense, that'll be that's a pleasure for Coach Corbin and Aaron in the pitching staff and the rotation. Now, I don't want to say I was surprised to see because with Tim Corbin, you can never be surprised what he's going to do and what he's going to bring out, uh, especially in these first few weeks in the non-conference. But uh, they went with Maldonado on Saturday and Maldonado, like you said, out of character. You know, I thought Oklahoma State credit to them, though. Credit to Oklahoma State. They really came out and and, and hit the ball well. Uh, But for this staff, how much do you see this changing? Because I I don't think I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of fluctuation uh, throughout this pitching staff. Yeah, I totally agree. I think they're still trying to figure out how the pieces fit together best. Um, You know, I'm not sure how I feel about Thomas Schultz at the back end. Um, You know, sinker slider guy, not really a big strikeout guy. He can get strikeouts, but I mean, um, I kind of like him in, in either a, a starting role or like a long relief bridge role. Um, I, I like a little more bat missing potential at the very back, you know, and whether that's Hunter Owen, I mean, I could see him uh, closing. It's really, that's really good stuff. That yeah. cutter especially is a really good pitch and uh, he can spin the, the curveball in there as well. And there's enough velocity. I think he was 91, 93 from the left side. Um, he's a real weapon. I don't know where he fits best. Again, I mean, he could start also. He, he pitched, he held his, his stuff for a couple innings there the other day. Um, and he's a big physical guy. I can see him moving into the rotation if they need him there. I really kind of like the idea of him at the back end, but I mean, Maldonado was the best closer in the country coming into the year How is how we viewed it. And, you know, and a guy that you could extend, you can still get three, four innings out of him in the, in the bullpen role, but let him just 
go out there and, and empty the tank rather than trying to pace himself. I, I thought the stuff just didn't look as good uh, this weekend, maybe because, you know, he's trying, again, trying to pace himself or, or maybe he just wasn't as sharp. Um, you know, we can wait and see on that. But my gut says he's a great fit at the back of the bullpen. You've got other guys who can start, you know, maybe Riley starts. Uh, Riley was electric out of the bullpen, but it was, you know, it was an extended outing. It was three or four out, uh, innings. And so um, he proved that he can hold his stuff. It's just a matter of the command. Will that be there? But it was encouraging to see Matt, Chris McElveen have the, the, uh, the start that he did. You know, I feel like you've got one certainly there that you can rely on. And then after that, I don't, I don't know how those pieces fit. Holton's going to be, you know, he's going to be a rotation piece for the next three years. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't expect him to leave that role, whether he's pitching on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, he'll be in that weekend rotation. So then you really just have, have to figure out like, do we want to keep Maldonado, you know, as a starter, we like him in the bullpen. And if we put him in the bullpen, who do you start? You know, do you, do you, uh, certainly we all know Christian Little's got big time stuff. Um, didn't really seem like the command was there the other day. I mean, can he figure it out? That's the other kind of X factor here. Can he really, it's a really good four pitch mix. You know, everything you want to start is these physical, he's athletic, just a matter of command in the zone enough. And, and, you know, we'll see how long that takes to materialize for him, but that's another very exciting possibility. Yeah, a lot of arms, a lot of options for Corbin, as there usually is. It's just a matter of, you know, who, who figuring out who steps up. And Aaron, in the SEC, it's, again, another crazy year in the SEC. I think there's even more teams like a Tennessee, like an Auburn, uh, even in Alabama, a lot of teams that uh, are rising up and, and, and making this conference even better. So this may be a tough question, but out of the 12 SEC teams, which ones would you say have a legit shot to host a regional? Not, not you know, get into the tournament. I think there's going to be a lot of teams in the tournament, yeah. but hosting a regional, what what are those teams in your mind that are at that top tier right now? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in the East, of course, you've got Vanderbilt, and, and I still think Florida, you know, they had a bad first weekend. They, they lost a home series to Liberty. Still really like their talent. And it's one of those teams that's going to get better as the season goes because it's uh, uh, a lot of very exciting young arms, freshman arms that they're leaning on. Um, and as those guys grow, I think Florida will, will improve. But uh, the lineup is loaded. Uh, so those two teams, I feel like, are regional host caliber in the East. And Georgia, I mean, I could see Georgia being in there too. That's the one that people aren't really thinking about. And Tennessee, for that matter, <laughs> I mean, you know, Tennessee had to reload. It's just so much in this league. Um, Tennessee had to reload, but it sounds like they, they did that pretty darn well. You know, uh, is that true word. that they've got a 103 mile per hour thrower? It, it can't be right. That's the rumor. And, you know, we, we know we know he touched triple digits in the fall. And so uh, it's not a it's huge insane. stretch, not a huge stretch. Maybe that he, that he hit 103, but we haven't seen it ourselves. We'll, we'll try to confirm that. We need your proof, point. Aaron. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's a ridiculous arm, uh, and and you know they, they got another guy Chase Burns who's like a he'll he'll flirt with the. Uh, yeah, they they got arms there, and uh, they, they kind of had to you know overhaul their basically their whole infield and some of their pitching staff to lose some key guys there, but uh, uh, still need to wait and see a little bit with them. But it feels like they're going to be in the mix, and Georgia maybe is that team is lying in the weeds a little, um, not. You know, maybe not as many big name stars there, but there's some older, you know, experienced, accomplished winning college baseball players like the, the Tate brothers and Josh McAllister, these guys who played a lot of games that matters. Experience matters in the league, um, you know, and, and they do have, I think, a really deep and talented pitching staff led by Jonathan Cannon and Liam Sullivan's an emerging guy. So keep an eye on Georgia as well. I, I, you know, I think all four of those teams feel like potential hosts. Um, they won't all host, but they feel like, and if any one of those four got there, I wouldn't be surprised. And then, of course, in the West, you've got the usual suspects, right? Um, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, Arkansas, um, all, all feel like 
Did I forget one? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I feel like those four really are, are you know, they're all top ten kind of teams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and you throw Auburn in there as a team that appears much better than they were last year. They're really a wild card team heading into the season. Um, Alabama's off to a good start. We'll, we'll wait and see on that one. I'm not as sold yet, um, but we'll see. So there's a, you know, <laughs> even at, even Texas A&M's off to a good start. Mm-hmm. And if you told me right now Alabama and A&M will wind up vying to host a regional, I mean, it could happen. It, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talent in this league. There's a lot of depth. Yeah, and it makes for a lot of fun matchups. And, and Tennessee and Vanderbilt, I think, for me, as a Vanderbilt, you know, person and, and for Tennessee fans, it's going to be fun. I, I'm planning on going up there for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Friday night game, I think, is on ESPN2 at the Hawks. So really excited for that. But in terms of Tennessee and kind of what that creates for the rivalry and, and, and in state, the state of Tennessee all of a sudden here uh, stepping up and, and producing some good college baseball. Tim Corbin talked about it and he said, you know, I love it. I, I love the fact that that Tennessee is, is, is on the rise and, and, and it makes, uh, you know, a, a 10, 12 year old kid want to play baseball is going to Tennessee Vanderbilt game. So Tennessee, what, 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 uh, what intrigues you about them? And especially with the rivalry, uh, what that might create in terms of spice this year. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's been spicy even, even before Tony mm-hmm. Vitello got there. I remember, you know, going to a Tennessee Vanderbilt game in Knoxville during the Dave Serrano years. And, um, and it was spicy then, you know, it's just hey, anytime Tennessee and Vanderbilt get together, it's, it's, it's not something when you think about the great rivalries in college sports, like, you don't necessarily think Tennessee Vanderbilt, um, but there's, there's not a lot of love lost there between these yeah. two programs. And, and, um, and, you know, in both places you've got, especially when Tennessee's going well, their, their crowd can get a little spicy, um, you know, which it, it wasn't so much in years past, but um, they're, they're, they're right now they're, you know, people are into it because they're good. And Tony Vitello, you know, has, has built something there that they, they play with an edge their fans, I think, feed off of that. Their players, you know, they all feed off of his personality, um, you know, and, and it's, uh, it does create a little bit of uh, um, fireworks from time to time. We saw that with, with Tennessee and Arkansas last year, you know, talk about Chippy, you know, Tony yeah. and his, his old boss, Dave Van Horn, getting into it. Um, there's a lot of that. I think you're going to see with the Vols. I love it. SEC baseball, I think, has always been this way, but I think the rest of college baseball is starting to catch on, and especially atmospheres like Louisiana Tech at the Love Shack and and, and other atmospheres that you may not think of in college baseball, but they're producing really good baseball, and the fans love it. So in terms of the heat that college baseball has right now, I don't think it's purely because of the MLB lockout. I think this sport is as good as college basketball, college football. I really think it is. I think you know, you got places like D1 Baseball, Baseball America have done a great job. You've got other sites that are now covering college baseball. Uh, so what do you think this means for the sport of baseball and guys maybe, hey, I might want to go play college baseball, get those three years in and, and, and work my butt off and actually, uh, you know, develop as a player as opposed to maybe, I hate saying throwing your career down the drain, but we've seen that happen in the minor leagues. You know, we've seen that happen before. Tim Corbin talks about this a lot. So in terms of the heat college baseball has right now, uh, do you think it uh, goes down any, I, I I'd really doubt it. Yeah. And, and, you know, even at the major league level, they've been steering more players to go to college than they did in years past. It used to be much more of a competition for that high school talent between uh, the big league clubs and, and college. And nowadays it feels like, and even the commissioner himself has said, 
you know, he was, he was in Omaha a few years ago, you know, promoting this big league game that they were playing right before the world series, college world series. And, um, and talking about the value of, of players developing in college and, you know, they just slashed a bunch of their affiliates. There's a lot less jobs available now in the minor leagues. Part of that is because I think they're satisfied with allowing kids to develop in college. And then, and then, you know, they kind of, uh, get to pick and choose the ones who, who make it, you know, for three years and three or four years in college. And, and then kind of, you know, maybe reduces your, your washout rate. I don't know, but uh, I think all of that is, is good for college baseball. I mean uh, we've seen more and more players bypass the draft, high, high profile talents bypass the draft and go to college and still do well three years later in the draft. So um, yeah, it's uh, the game is on the rise still, you know, and, and um, you're right. I mean, it's, we're still so far from the overall um, media share, I guess, or mm. um, that, that college basketball and football have. I mean, just the, the profile of those sports is still so much higher that it just shows you we've got a lot of, you know, potential growth left in college baseball. There's, we're nowhere near the ceiling, I think. So uh, let's see where this thing goes. Aaron, one more here before I let you go. Uh, really appreciate the time. Uh, the SEC tournament in Hoover is always a really fun place to, to, to go watch uh, college baseball. I'm actually planning on going this year. Number one, I know you've been there before. I, I uh, wouldn't be surprised about that. But in terms of the importance of it, I know we're a long ways away from it. But a, a lot of times you see teams like Mississippi State last year. They, they got run ruled in, in two games in Hoover, and then they ended up winning the national championship. Yeah. We've seen Vanderbilt uh, lose before and then end up uh, making a run like that. So, yes, it's a great atmosphere and people love going down there. But in terms of the importance and and, and kind of the value that teams place on it, uh, how would you gauge that? And kind of, you know, not that teams don't care about it, but uh, obviously the NCAA tournament is what really matters. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, especially the coaches that know that they're already locked into pretty good position when it comes to hosting a regional or, or being a top eight national seed, um, they're not going to go out there and burn up their pitching staff trying to win the SEC tournament, and they shouldn't. Um, now, if, if you're playing well and uh, you win a couple games and you kind of get, get yourself into that winner's bracket and you're, you know, it's spaced out enough. I mean, like Arkansas last year, you know, I mean, Arkansas was already locked into the number one national seed, no matter what happened, but mm -hmm. they just kept playing well. They didn't, they didn't have to burn it through any good arms to win it all, to win the SEC tournament. So they did, <laughs> they just went out there and, and won the darn thing. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think it's, your point is, is valid though. I mean, there's no, you know, it's more, it means more to some teams than others. Let's put it that way. Right. Because if you're on the bubble, you know, like LSU was last year, um, theoretically, you know, a loss going on one there in, in Hoover uh, could, could really end your, your, your prospects. Now LSU is able to get in anyway. Um, but that's, that's kind of rare, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you got a chance to play your way in. If you're a bubble team, you got a chance to kind of solidify your hosting position. If you're on the host bubble or the top eight bubble, you know, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's just one more week of data, uh, for the committee to, to sift through, but it's, yeah. it's a great atmosphere. It really is. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. No question. Yeah, no doubt about it. Really looking forward to that. And, and, uh, looking forward to another good weekend of baseball Vanderbilt welcomes in army. So we'll see, uh, we'll see about that. I think they're, uh, doing, uh, honoring some, the military veterans there. So, you know, that's always a, a big time Vanderbilt thing, but thanks so much for taking the time and, uh, we'll let, we'll check back in maybe, uh, when, when the regionals come by. Yeah, sounds good, Billy. Enjoy it.